Good morning. We are excited that you have chosen to worship with us and to be here this morning at Boiling Springs Baptist Church. We want to welcome you. If you are a guest or a visitor in our midst, we welcome you here today. As we prepare our hearts for worship this morning, I would invite you to listen and to meditate on these words that I will be reading this morning. I'll be reading from the book of Psalms, chapter 108, verses 1 through 5. Follow along and listen with me. My heart is steadfast, O God. I will sing and make music with all my soul. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love, higher than the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens, and let your glory be over all the earth. Thank you. 
take your hymnal and turn to 265 as we begin our worship service praising the risen Savior with the Word of God being alive also in our lives. Please stand, 265. Georgia. We've missed you. How are you? Are you good? You want to sit right there? Thank you. I want to read a scripture this morning, and it's from 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 and 5. Love is patient. It does not easily become angry. It does not keep track of other people's wrongs. How many of you have ever made a mess? Was it a mess that maybe mom or dad didn't like? How about a mess at school? Do we ever make messes at school? No. You don't make a mess at school? Good for you. Well, tell me something. After you've made that mess, does mom or dad get mad at you? They do, don't they? I saw a picture on Facebook of some little boy who unpacked his drawers the other night after mom packed them all up. Does she get mad? Get mad a little bit. But what happens after she gets mad? You get grounded. Oh, you get grounded. So we did a big mess. <laughs> what if it's not a big mess? Does she love you today? Yeah, she does, doesn't she? She doesn't stay mad at you, does she? She gives you back a hug. 
She gives you all her love and everything goes on, doesn't she? What does God do when we make messes? Does he forgive us? He does. God forgives us just like moms and dads and best friends even when you do something to them. So what I want you to remember is even though sometimes we make messes, sometimes they might be little messes, sometimes they might be grounded messes, mom and dads, friends and family, and God, especially God, he reaches his arms around us and he holds on so tight because he loves us. He forgives us. And that's what makes you and God special. So when we do messes, we need to remember God always forgives us. And moms do too. Okay? Let's pray. Dear Jesus, this is a special day in your house. We thank you for our children, for our families, and for the fact that no matter what we do, you stand beside us and you forgive us and we move on. You are our life and our love and we thank you for that. It's in your son, Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. I'll be reading today from Jeremiah 31, 27 to 34, and this is on page 680 in your pew Bible. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of man and the seed of beast, and it shall come to pass that as I have watched over them to pluck up and break down, to overthrow, destroy, and bring evil. So I will watch over them to build and to plant, says the Lord. In those days they shall no longer say, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. But everyone shall die for his own sin each man who eats sour grapes, his teeth shall be set on edge. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it upon their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each man teach his neighbor and his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. The new covenant that Sandy just read about is through the blood of Jesus Christ. What a friend for sinners. Number 185, please stand. 
that we find ourselves living, it's comforting 
and reassuring to sing the words of that chorus, Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a friend. Savior helping, keeping, loving, he is with me to the end. These are words that we as his people need to remind ourselves of in a world that we find ourselves in that is confusing and distracting and voices are pulling at us from all different directions. Let us today hear his voice and respond in appropriate ways. Will you join me in prayer this morning? God, we have so much to be grateful for as we bow our heads and come to you in prayer. Father, we're so grateful for your presence with us in this place today. We're grateful to be alive and to be sitting in the pews and, and to be here this morning. We're grateful for your love that is with us on the mountaintops and in the valleys. We're grateful, Lord, for jobs, for food, for clothing and shelter. Father, we know many within our, um, some within, maybe within our own community and those within our state and nation and around the world lack those basic things. And so, Father, we thank you for those things today. God, we thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, who we can come to and we can ask forgiveness for our sins. We're grateful for his life and his death and his resurrection, for the victory and the hope that is now within our lives. Father, help us to be messengers of this love and this forgiveness in the world in which we live. Father, our hearts are heavy this morning for needs within our church family, with those who may need encouragement, those who are struggling physically. Father, we lift them up to you this day. Father, our hearts are heavy for those in the eastern North Carolina and, and, and southeast, Lord, who have continued to be affected in tremendous ways by Hurricane Matthew. Father, we pray for your people, um, for these people, Lord, that you would provide for their needs, that you would uh, bring peace and bring provision to them as uh, their lives and their homes have been devastated. Father, help us to know how we can respond. Uh, Lord, we uh, pray that you would stir our hearts and move us financially and in practical ways. Lord, we lift up our country today. Lord, we watch the news, we hear of things here at home, and um, we see things happening within our cities, God, that grieve us, that, um, Lord, that um, we, we pray for leaders. We pray for the leaders of these cities, for law enforcement, for others, Father, who make important decisions each and every day that affect the communities that they govern and the communities that they lead. Father, speak to us as your body. Convict us of sin. Lead us back on the path that leads to a deeper and closer relationship with you. Help us to know as individuals and as a body of Christ how we are to respond to the things that come before us each and every day. Father, many are frustrated, confused, and irritated by things within our society today, but Father, we as your people help us to be beacons of light, messengers of hope, and when things seem to be all surmounting in the sense of, of discouraging and, and hopeless, Father, we as your church have a strong message of hope that, Father, you can save and that you can forgive and that you can transform, that you offer grace and mercy and love and help us to always communicate that and offer that, not only in our words, but through our actions as well. Father, we commit to you this time today and we ask that you would have your will and your way in this service as we meet with you. All of God's people said, amen. You'll need your uh, bulletin for the next song, or it's probably going to be on our screens. Grace alone. Please stand.
Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the beautiful fall Christmas to the air and the beautiful leaves as they appear to show your glory through the seasons. Lord, you bless us so much through everything in the world and through our material means. Please show us the cheer that comes from giving back the tithe to you, Lord. It is in your commandments to give one-tenth. The more you give, God, I've learned the more, the more we give, God will bless us more and more. Our friends to the east need our dollars. They need our prayers. They need our work, as we will probably be sending Baptist men to the area to clean up and rebuild, Lord. Let us give of ourselves, our heart, our minds, and our dollars, as you have blessed us. Thank you. Amen.
What a great message from the youngest to the oldest in the room today that he who began a good work in you and in us will be faithful to complete it. Last week we began a new sermon series and uh, the first two words last Sunday of the sermon titled today and over the next two weeks is simply God's people. And the premise of this sermon series is that in the day and in the age in which we live, uh, with violence and terrorism and issues of race and a, a divided political climate, how are we as God's people to respond in the world in which we find ourselves today? Last week we looked at uh, the first in the series was God's people make the most of their current circumstances. And we looked at the people here in Jeremiah. He had been preaching faithfully for 42 years with no resolve, and the people were uh, taken into exile. Jeremiah and some others were left behind, and uh, Jeremiah was writing to the people, God's message to the people in exile. The people there had found themselves in a place where they never wanted to be, but yet that's where they were. They could have run away, they could have revolted, but yet God said to build, to plant, to harvest, to marry, to bloom where you're planted is a phrase that we would use, to make the most of your current situation. The message that we have for the world today in the midst of our culture, in the midst of our climate, climate of, of, of just people just being angry and upset, and the message that we have is a message of good news. Uh, there's much that the church could be discouraged about, but people of God, we have a message of hope, and let us not forget that. We have a message of love that needs to be communicated, and who better to communicate it, and who can communicate it other than His church and His people? in the way that we conduct ourselves, the way that we relate with the world around us, including our families. It begins within our families. Then it translates in within our communities, our workplaces. And through those small things, through those little things, through those hard things sometimes, we can make a big difference within our world. Today's part in this series, God's people take responsibility for their own shortcomings. It's easy for us we do this often when we gather, quick snack, snack shop, wherever we gather, to talk about the world's problems and, you know, what we think about the world's problems and how we think things need to happen and play out. And uh, this morning is, is certainly not the environment to do that from this pulpit. But God's people take responsibilities for their own shortcomings. They fess up. We live in a time where no one wants to take responsibility for anything. Can I get an amen, church? <laughs> this is something we see in daily doses on TV, and I'll stop there. Um, it's funny or cute sometimes, though, when we see it with children, as Ellen mentioned in her children's sermon. Uh, you know, you got two kids standing before you, and you, like, you told them not to eat any more cookies. And you say, all right, who, and you come back and you see the cookies are gone. And you say, who, who ate the cookies? And, you know, the one standing there with crumbs all over his face is saying, I, I didn't do it. He did it, <laughs> you know. And so, but unfortunately, it, mu it, it moves from being cute uh, to being much more important and much more serious when we begin to point the finger and when, when we begin to blame others. Brothers and sisters do it. Some of you grew up in a home, and you could tell me a lot of stories and probably some hilarious and some really good stories about how you would blame each other, and sometimes you would get by with it. And sometimes the wrong kid would get punished, and you were just laughing and feeling good about it. Uh, but I hope you've apologized to those brothers or sisters now in your adult life. But we see it often with brothers and sisters. We see it in, in, between husbands and wives. 
you know, trying to take, well, I, you know, the reason I did this is because you did this. If you hadn't done that, then I wouldn't have done this. And so we play that blame game. And the blame game has went on since the beginning of time. We've seen it in the Garden of Eden. I, you know, I, she, took, she made me eat it, you know. Um, I mean, we, we, we see it and, it and it's carried on into today. It's completely natural for many to think in the following way. If something has gone wrong or is not the way that it should be, then someone other than myself must be identified and blame for, the causing, for causing the situation. Uh, we see this, from, again, from the beginning of time. I came across an illustration this week of a um, center fielder on a baseball team, and the, the coach, the minor league coach, was disgusted by the center, leader, center, fields, center fielder's play. And so he pulled the center fielder out, and he put himself in the game. And only to see the first ball came, and it was, had a bad hop to it, and it, and it popped him in the jaw. And then the next, the next uh, shot, the next hit came, and it was a fly ball, and the sun was in his eyes, so it hit him on the top of the head. And then the next ball came, and it was a line drive, so the, so the, the, the minor league coach went straight toward the ball with his glove out, only to slightly miss it, and it popped the edge of his ear. He comes back in the dugout, and he grabs the the player by the jersey, and he says, look, you've messed up center field so bad even that I can't, I can't even, you know, get it back in together. And so he's blaming, again, you know, the blame game. It goes on. We see it in sports. We see it in our homes. We see it at, at, at work. I, I, didn't make, I, I didn't make that mess. I didn't call, make that error on the financial sheet, or, I, you know, I didn't do that. And so the blame game goes on. The, the, one of the greatest examples may be in our criminal justice system. Uh, criminals are often the masters at the blame game. I mean, have you ever seen on the news or uh, occasionally you will see a criminal or those of us who have gotten speeding tickets, officer, I'm sorry. I mean, what do you, what do you say? But most, most criminals, uh, hopefully I'm not a criminal by getting a speeding ticket, but um, uh, not that I have recently in Bowling Springs. Um, but you know, criminals are the, are the masters at this, you know. It's always somebody else's fault. Somebody else made them mad. That's why they did it. Or somebody else, you know, did some injustice to them. So therefore, they were justified in doing what they needed to do, and they'll gladly tell the officers in the court and anyone else, you know, they have to go through a whole long trial oftentimes to determine the guilt and the punishment, all while if the criminal had just said, you know what, this is what I did, this is why I did it, and things would, things would look a little bit different. But at some point, we have to stop blaming parents. We have to start blaming environment. We have to stop blaming our peers and our coworkers. We're now an adult, and we are the ones who should take responsibility for the decisions that we make. A, cl a close cousin to blame is another verb, justify. We justify our behavior, and some could even use Scripture for this. Uh, some of you know the... Um, writer Rich Mullins. He was the one that wrote Awesome God. He wrote Step by Step. He's written some other really good songs, choruses that we sing often in church. And he was a step above, in my opinion, as far as Christian music goes a decade ago. Um, he, was, he didn't fit into the limelight of popular Christian contemporary music. He was kind of off to the side writing really good hymns, writing really good songs. And um, when you, whenever one would see him in concert, he would uh, people would enjoy his commentary before the song about the song just as much as the song that he was singing. And he was joking. And again, this is how some people misinterpret or justify their actions by misinterpreting Scripture. He, I remember one of the concerts I was watching on YouTube of Rich Mullins, and he, I just died laughing when he said this, but he was referencing a psalm, and he said, you know, the Bible says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And I, all I want to do is I just want to be about the Lord's business. So, you know, 
Um, anyway, again, trying to, justify, trying to justify bad behavior. We try to convince ourselves and others that it was a logical, reasonable thing to do. So again, we've justified our irresponsible behavior. This one is huge when it comes to justification. I'm just treating them the way that they have treated me. So therefore, our bad behavior is justified, right? Well, let's get into what we're looking at today here in Jeremiah 31. You're like, where are you going with this, Keith? Um, to speak the text today, many today, the children of Israel looked for someone else to blame for their own sin. And in their search for self-justification, they came up with a really cute and logical proverb that is listed here or is written here by Jeremiah in Jeremiah 31. This is also in Ezekiel 18, verses 2 and 3. You'll find this little proverb as well. But I was drawn to this when I was reading this passage recently. And Jeremiah lists the Proverbs. He says, in those days, they will not say again, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. But everyone will die for his own iniquity and each man will eat the sour grapes. His teeth, his teeth will be set on edge. The fathers may eat the sour grapes, but the children's teeth will be set on edge. This meant that whatever the fathers of each successive generation did may not affect them, but it would surely affect their children and their grandchildren. This was Israel's way of blaming their forefathers, forefathers, and even God for the sin that they committed and the judgments that they had to face. In using this proverb, they absolved themselves from the penalty for their own sin and placed it upon the head of their ancestors. And we still this, do this today, do we not? It's easy and socially acceptable at times to blame things on our parents or our environment in regards to our bad behavior. Uh, we see this, we do it, we see others that do it, and not only are we responsible for our own behavior, but as a church, we are also responsible for how we have missed the mark as well. Today's message is, is personal in that we all are being asked to look within and challenged and how we and are we taking responsibility for our own shortcomings? Are we fessing up? But it also, the more I've looked into or more I've studied and prepared for this morning, the more it comes back to me as a church in the sense that where have we as a church universally missed the mark? Where have we sometimes missed, where have we placed our priorities sometimes that those priorities have distracted us from the bigger purpose of why we meet and why we gather and why we worship and why we serve. And that's to, commu that's to draw closer and bring glory to God, uh, uh, draw closer to Him to bring glory to Him, and opportunities that the church provides to serve others, to allow others to grow, uh, and to share His love with those around us. Not only are we responsible for our own behavior, but again, but as a church, we are also responsible for how we have missed the mark as well. The church of Jesus Christ must take responsibility for how we have come up short. At times, Christians don't act much different than others when it comes to facing up to their sin. We love to play the blame game as well. Not only are we guilty of playing the blame game, but we also are guilty of justifying our treatment of others as well. Sometimes it's the pastor's fault. You know, the pastor didn't teach me right, or our, my Bible study teacher, or the church, again, the, the misplaced priorities of the church, or maybe the, the quarrel or the division that was going on in a church when we were growing up. But we tend to place things back on the church. We can lay the blame game wherever we want, but God speaks plainly to us that we are all the answer, excuse me, that we all answer for our own sin, that... Um, it's, you know, we, we can only blame our parents or our environment or those around us so far. Uh, 
We cannot lay the blame game for what we do at the feet of another person. James 1, 14 through 15 says this. James wrote, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away from his own lust and enticed. Then when lust has conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. It isn't the fault of anyone else when we sin. It's our own fault. Until we realize the, the fact that true responsibility has not taken place. In the New Testament, we have no excuse, especially now in, the, in these New Testament times, we have no excuse for sin. We cannot lay the blame game for our sour grapes on anyone else. I love this little proverb in the Old Testament here about sour grapes. We have the presence of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God and the blood of Jesus Christ to wash us and to cleanse us and to teach us how we are to walk uprightly before God. So looking at the sermon title this morning, it says, God's people take responsibility for their own shortcomings. They fess up. So if we, as God's people, take responsibility, take our own responsibility for our shortcomings, for our sins, what does this look like? What are we to do? And the first thing is listed in the sermon titles, we fess up. Confession has to be there. We have to admit the fact that we've fallen short, that we've come up short. This happens in AA meetings. It's the first step before any way, any, in any area of our society of taking responsibility for our actions is that we have to fess up. The second is we have to move on. If we're taking responsibility, we need to fess up for our sins and then we need to move on. We need to confess it and move on. This week, I had the opportunity to lead devotions for uh, the JV football team at Crest High School. And I was joking with people that uh, on Tuesday I had a really good devotion and then um, someone was supposed to lead it on Thursday and could not from our church. And so I had to, I led it again on Thursday and I was joking with a couple people that I had one really good sports devotion that I did on Tuesday. And now Thursday is coming up again. I've got to come up with something new, but the Lord impressed something on me. And I'll share it with you this morning. As we think about our, you know, taking responsibility for our own shortcomings, we fess up. But again, the next step is to move on. We can't just fess up and say, well, I've messed up. And so that's where a lot of Christians end up staying is that we, we ask God to forgive us, but then we think there's no way that he can use us because we've messed up pretty big. And he may have forgiven us from this, but there's no way that he can use me now in ministry and in service to him. But as we think about, I shared with the team on Thursday, and there were some great football yesterday, but when we think chains that are represented on the side of a football field every 10 yards, you know, and the goal of, a, of an offensive line, the goal of a team is to move those chains. Um, we would like to get 10 yards or more every time they, there's a play happens, but sometimes we get two or three yards, and sometimes the team ends up going back or not completing the first down. They don't move the chain. So if that happens, a team has to ask and look within themselves, why are we not moving the chains? Who's not doing their job? What, what can we do to move the chains forward? And then I challenged them not only in, in moving forward as a team and moving those chains, but what are we doing in our lives? And church, that's what I ask you this morning. What are we doing in our lives to move the chains? Are we at a better place today, this year, because we have confessed our sins from last year, we've moved on, we've, we've overcome some, some trials and some struggles that we've been having in our lives? And will we be at a better place next year because we've confessed things going on in our lives now and we're seeking to improve ourselves. We're seeking to move forward in our relationship with Christ and to move forward in our relationship with others because we have confessed and now we're moving on. Hebrews 12, 1 says, let us lay aside every encumbrance and hindrance and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run, let us move forward with endurance with the race that is before us. So not only do we fess up, we move on, but we also seek spiritual maturity. 
The the people of God in the Old Testament certainly had their immaturity, and Paul spoke of this several places in his letters. In Ephesians 4, 13 through 15, Paul spoke of maturity when he said, until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. But speaking truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. Are we moving forward? Are we seeking spiritual maturity? I love what the author of Hebrews 6.1 said, let us press on to maturity. Where are you this morning in taking responsibility for your sins? Has life dealt you a handful of sour grapes, to use Jeremiah's words? And do you feel that life has been unfair? Don't think that you are alone. All of us have felt that way from time to time. Only when we face up to our own sour grapes and confess that we are the ones at fault and no one else can we find true repentance and forgiveness of sin. 1 John 1, 9, which I reference often, says, If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Looking at different scriptures this week that related to confession, I loved the scripture that I, have must, I must have, for whatever reason, haven't thought of it recently, but Proverbs 28, 13. I love what the author of this verse says. He says, The one who conceals his sin will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. The one who conceals his sin will not prosper, but the one who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. Many of you have heard me reference Philip Yancey. He's one of the authors that probably means um, one of my top three or four authors that I love to read for pleasure and read as I'm preparing to teach or preach. But he has a quote from uh, one of his books that speaks of Uh, the one characteristic that distinguishes Christianity from all other religions. And that one word is grace. We've done nothing to earn God's favor. We've done nothing to deserve God's favor. But yet he offers us forgiveness. If we will confess, and as we do that, we'll begin to move forward and we'll begin to mature in our relationship and in our walk with the Lord. And so I ask you this morning, Have you been a recipient of God's grace? Have you allowed his grace and that mercy and that love that flows from our Heavenly Father to indwell you, to to take up root in your life? Because when it does, it will change the way we relate with God. It'll change our path of spiritual growth. It'll change our direction in life. We may be going one way and have a certain set of priorities, but when God begins to set up camp, And when true confession and repentance is there, we begin to walk in a new path. And the scripture says that we are a new creation, that we are being made new in Christ. And I ask each of you and myself this morning, are there areas where I, where we need to confess, not only individually, but also as a church, where we've missed the mark, where we've placed our priorities in an area that is simply hasn't been best for us as individuals and us as a church. The call to each of us, individually and corporately this morning, uh, as we think about our sour grapes, is to realize that we can't blame others for our shortcomings. We can't, we no longer need to justify our actions, but we need to fess up, we need to move on, we need to seek spiritual maturity and allow God to have his will and his way in each of our hearts today. Grace, we've done nothing to earn it, nothing to deserve it but yet it's offered freely to us this morning.
Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this passage tucked away here in Jeremiah. As he was faithful to preach to a people who didn't want to hear what he had to say, it would be much like the prophet today speaking to a world that doesn't want to hear this message of forgiveness. It's easier to blame. It's easier to justify. But, Father, you've called each of us to take responsibility, and we are the only ones who can take responsibility for our own actions. So, Lord, teach us more about what that looks like. Teach us more about what that means. And even, Lord, when it's difficult, even when it's hard, help us to do the right thing and help us to confess and help us to look to you. God, we're thankful for your love. We're thankful for your forgiveness. That forgiveness is possible today because of your son, his life and his death and his resurrection. We have victory over sin and over death. Father, help each of us as we seek to be spiritually mature Christians. Help us to do business with you. If confession needs to take place, then, Lord, help us to do that. Lord, forgive us as a church as we have often misplaced our priorities. And, Lord, help us to be on the path that will lead us to spiritual maturity. God, thank you for your word, the way it challenges us, the way it convicts us. And, Father, have your way in this place today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I don't know where you are this morning in, in your walk and in your life, but if there are things that need to be prayed about, and um, you can do so in your pew. You, the altar is open to do so as well. If there are those thinking about church membership, we would be happy to receive you and happy, happy to talk with you about that. But let's stand and sing and allow the Lord to... Number 472, please. It asks us a question. We may be satisfied with Jesus, but is Jesus satisfied with us?
Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the forgiveness that's offered through your Son, Jesus Christ. Help us to take your message of love and hope and forgiveness with us through these doors today into our homes and into our workplaces and into our community. And then others may come to know and experience the love and the forgiveness and the grace that's found in a relationship with you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.